with it. Well, I've got a word to release to you. How many of you want to hear it? Amen. Uh, I'm going to read to you. Uh, uh, just a moment. I'm going to read to you first um, from the book of Acts. Don't go there because I'm reading from the Message Bible. But I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 20. And I'm going to read verse 2, I think it is. Uh, verse uh, 1 says, when things, with things back to normal, Paul, speaking of Apostle Paul, called his disciples together and encouraged them to keep up the good work in Ephesus. Then saying his goodbyes, he left for Macedonia, traveling through the country, passing from one gathering to another, he gave constant encouragement. Everybody say encouragement. Constant encouragement. I want to commission you today that out of this house, as you go forth, wherever you are, your workplace, wherever you go, that you are to release constant encouragement. And then it goes on to say lifting their spirits and charging them with fresh hope. There are plenty of people that have a struggle in their life that just need fresh hope. And when they see your name, how many of you have, have caught Dutch's latest message called Full Circle? Wow. You, you need to hear this word. It's incredible. Dutch had an encounter with a rabbi. And they got to talking about the word testimony. And in Dutch's understanding, in the rabbi's understanding, the word testimony in Hebrew means do it again. And the rabbi told him, now you have to understand, we love the Jews and Jews are God's people, but they have not been completed through the Messiah. They have rejected the Messiah. But the rabbi told him they had discovered something, and that was they take people that are sick, and they find people who've been healed of the sickness, and they have them come and stand for hours over them, repeating their testimony of healing of that sickness. And they're having people healed. Are you catching this? And see, when you understand a testimony is what God is willing to do again. Do it again. And even I, I told Dutch, and he looked it up and said I was right. Where it says, I overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word in. I know your Bible says of, the word of my testimony. But that little word there is not of, it's actually in. The word in my testimony. In other words, <coughs> in your testimony are words of life because of what God has done for you. Anybody here ever need a bill paid? And, and I mean, you, you know, you, you, God paid it for you. I mean, you know, that can be many different ways. That can be a relative help you with it, but you know it was God that came through. You know, we, we drove to do a revival meeting in 1986 in Gideon, Missouri, on a set of tires that the best thing I could tell you, they were Maypops. Anybody know what a Maypop tire? It may pop any minute. 
They look like onion skins. 1986, we were so broke we couldn't pay attention. I mean, it was tough. And we went and preached that meeting, and we got our offering, and we drove home, and it wasn't enough in the offering to put a set of tires on the car. But three days later, a check came in the mail, this letter from this man named Buell Wilson. He's with the Lord now. And he said, to us, he said, oh, I wish I could hear God like you hear God. And you so touched, God so touched my life when you were there. And it was so I'm looking forward to when you come back to get in and preach again. And I sold some cattle. Here's you a check for $246. And we go to Walmart and bought, I think it was Cooper tires. If you're running Cooper, I might run it down. But they're not as good as Michelin's. Let's just say that. And we went to Walmart and bought the, you know, you know, with it. And we first priced it. Said, you know, what will a set of tires cost? And they rang it up, sale tax and everything. It came. I remember it to this day, two hundred and forty-six dollars and thirty-one cents. And I had the thirty-one cents in my pocket. The man told me several times. I wish I could hear. He sent us a check one time for twelve hundred dollars. And the Lord had just given me a dream about a Volkswagen car for $1,200. I saw, in the dream, I saw a want ad in the Arkansas Democrat. And we were going to visit my mother. And the first thing I did, I got my mother's ad, you got a Democrat? And I looked in there, and there was the car I dreamed about. And we bought that car. But he sent it, but we, we, we were able to secure the car, going to make a loan at the bank. And when we got home, he'd sold some cows and sent me $1,200. But what my point of this is, you're hearing God and recognizing God more than you understand. But it's time that we understand that he wants to work with us on a level that some of us are not experiencing yet. About a year and a half ago, Dutch Sheets made a statement I think we were in Ohio together, and when he did, it was a very passing statement, but it caught me. It just it, it blindsided me. And he just very quickly said, he quoted 2 Chronicles 7.14, where it said, If my people, who are called by my name, will repent and turn from their wicked ways, you know how it goes, it said, then I will heal the land. And he said this statement. He said, the Lord is showing me we have moved into the second half of Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Now, please hear me. He wasn't saying we don't still need to repent. But there's some things we've repented enough. It's time to go do it. You know, part of the understanding or definition of the word repentance is not just coming to an altar and saying, God, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? But it's a, it actually means to think differently, it, to take on a new way of thinking, to be different. And so the other day, um, I, I'm trying to remember, it runs together because we were with them in Oxford and Baton Rouge. But the other day, a lady, it was on the drive to Baton Rouge, I think it was. The other day, I had a lady call me who didn't know me, someone who gave her a name. She's a minister. And this is what she said to me. She said, Whatever that you're about to be a part of and already are a part of, but you're going to engage on a whole other level, the Lord wanted me to tell you that, it's, that you have now moved into the second half of Second Chronicles 7.14.
And so you say, why are you sharing this? Because I believe when we get the words in our testimony right, we're going to heal the land. And when the land becomes healed, it's going to give up its treasure. How many of you remember when we did the meeting in Ellisville? Can someone get me a water? Is that one there? Uh, in Ellisville, um, Mississippi, which is Jones County, we brought Dutch in, we brought Will Ford in, we brought Matt Lockett, we kicked off the Mississippi Greater Glory there. And one of the things that Dutch prophesied was, he said, in this area of Mississippi, there's going to be an oil and gas discovery. I was on the phone last night with a couple in Mississippi who owns property in Ellis, right outside of Ellisville, Jones County, and a oil drilling company have now secured, they're going to dig 500 foot deep holes on his property and set off the explosives so they can get a seismic reading of what's under it. In other words, there was healing came to Jones County. How many of you saw the movie, The Free State of Jones? I thought it was a very powerful movie. It was not totally historically correct, but it, was, it, was, it was, had some truth in it. But basically, this Free State of Jones was about, during the Civil War, where whites and blacks came together and they didn't support the Union, they didn't support the Confederacy. They supported each other. And it was really, there, the reason we kicked off the greater glory is because there's a portal there or a well there or a, 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 a seat of government there that can affect the whole state. So we went there, and because it was prophesied now, you know, out of all places, they didn't come to DeSoto County because it wasn't prophesied. They didn't come to, to Carroll County. They didn't come to... Uh, Tallahatchie County or Yalabusha County, they came to Jones County where there was a word prophesied that there was going to be a discovery of oil and gas there in that area. And so what I'm trying to tell you, healing came to that land. And the, the healing of the land is far, I don't like the way I was going to say it, it, it is, is significant because when it healed, the body comes together, fitly joined together as it should, but then the earth begins to give up the treasure that it is holding in it. <clears throat> and it's so important that we move into that place of understanding that. Am I, am I making any sense to you? Now, let me get into the, to the meat of this, um, this word that I want. See, what I want to talk with you about is this fresh hope. We've got to become fresh hope. In the book of Isaiah chapter 4, there's a, there's a context there. It says, those recorded among the living in Jerusalem. Are you recorded among the living? Uh, you know, come on, face it. Don't you have co-workers and friends and maybe family? It's going to get worse. You know, this, uh, the, the economy is going to bust and... You know, I mean, all they can do, all they can do is talk about the bad thing that is coming. You know, uh, in some of my conversation, you know, some of the ministers are telling me there, there's no way the body of Christ is going to ever come together in Memphis. I, I mean, I'd, I'd quit. Listen, I'd quit doing what I'm doing and start 
get me a reality show riding my Harley across the United States if I didn't think God could, could bring together and heal things. Are you, are you hearing me? But see, there's hope. See, throughout Scripture, time and time again, we see the children of God, Israel, going astray. They wander away from God's Word. <clears throat> they openly uh, rebel against the Lord. Uh, we see them going through that, but then we see the Lord coming and restoring and bringing them to a place. See, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's Hebrews 13, verse 8. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the book of James, chapter 2, verse 13. And a full payment for our redemption has already been paid by Christ. You can find that in Hebrews 7 and 27 and also Ephesians 1 and 7. But our God is still in the business of restoring and reconstituting the hope of this nation and this nation. This is the greatest nation on earth. And all you have to do is visit some of the other nations to understand that. And one of the things that's dangerous, I'm going to be a little bit controversial, is all this nonsense of trying to do away with our history. You know, I'm, I'm not going to get into it by description, but, <clears throat> you know, history is still true. And, and you, have to, you have to understand just because, you know, I in no way can find in me where our American flag represents the things that some people say it represents. Just because there was a, hand of, a handful of people who did evil under that flag, it doesn't take away from it. We've got to quit focusing on the things that produce death and start focusing on he who gives life. And there's been more life come from under that flag and the banner of that flag than it has death. I Listen, I totally agree and will say to you that one of the, the greatest scourges, curses, <coughs> tragedies that has ever come to this nation was slavery. But let me just share with you Slavery was a long time before this nation was even birthed. That doesn't make it easier. It doesn't make it right. But here's the question. When I list, how many of you know who Candace Owens is? How many of you like her? I think she's incredibly sharp. But one of the things she says over and over, how long are we going to remain victims uh, with it? You know, how long are we going to, we're looking for someone to blame because of our plight. And even, can I, I, I didn't mean to get this governmental, but, you know, they're wanting to give everybody in the, in the United States $1,000 a month, or everybody below a certain level $1,000 a month. Can I tell you what, that's going to mess up some lives. It, it, it's not, listen, they built a house in Memphis for a couple who were homeless, if you had not caught this on the news, you need to look it up. They built this home for them, moved them into this home, came back a year later, wanted to interview them, and they refused the interview. Two years later, they came, almost two years later, came back, and finally, and, and I mean, they just had to force their way into the house. I mean, it wasn't quite that way. And when they got in there, come to find out, they'd stripped all the copper out of the house and sold it. We washed it with the Navajo Indians in a place called Bennett's Freeze. Money was given, and they went in. Poor, it's the, one of the poorest places in the United States. And they went in there and built them all these new houses, 
and they ran on solar and they had no cost and everything with that and everything. And you know what? You know what they did because they didn't get any training. They knocked the wall out where the bathtub was so that the horses and cows could drink water out of the bathtub. Are you hearing me? You say, well, that's pretty primitive. But if that's all you've ever known, you don't value things. And another thing, you cannot continue to curse this nation and expect it to be a blessing to you. Are there things wrong? Yeah, listen, the abortion thing grieves me now as much as the slavery thing. But I can tell you, like when I was accused this week of, of, of you know, trying to set myself up in Memphis as a white master, that's the words that was used, and everything with that. I, you know, I haven't told this story in a long time, but I'm going to tell it. 1929 or 30, a man rode up who was black on a mule with no saddle and a bridle made out of bob wire. And as the story has been handed down to me, he rode up to my grandfather, William Bill Nash, and as the story has been told, it, they couldn't tell which one was closer to starving to death, the mule or the man on the, whole, on the mule. And the man said, his name was Robert Caperton, he said to my grandfather, he said, Sir, I'll work for you for food. And after working for you for a week for food, if I've not worked enough that you can give me money, you don't owe me anything, but if you don't let me work for food, I'm going to starve to death. Now, you remember that was depression time, not recession. And my grandfather put Robert Caperton to work. I wish I could remember it. I think it was 1930. And Robert Caperton worked with and for the Nash family to 1978. I grew up with him. And later on in 1958, when I was five years old, 57 when I was four years old, a fire came in a shop where my dad was working. A light fell into a bucket of gas, and it exploded. And my dad was standing right beside it and caught him on fire. And before I tell you this part, my dad was burnt so bad, he laid at Camel's Clinic for nine months. They grafted flesh and skin off of his backside and put on his arm that almost completely burned off. And it really was miraculous because soon can tell you, he didn't have any scars whatsoever, you know, from it. But when that fire broke out, every white man in that shop ran out. But not Robert Caperton. And he drug my dad outside and got him put out, and the ambulance carried him, and my dad lived. Now, I say that to help you understand. We've got to speak lie. wonder if my grandfather would say, get away from me. I'm out helping a black man. No, he didn't. See, that black man might not, would not have been there to save my dad's life. Are, are you seeing how the story, the righteous blessings that we are releasing now don't just affect us. They affect the generations to come. They affect the ages to come. And God is melting us together whether we like it or not. And it, we've got to move beyond some of the experiences that we've had that are tragic. I, you know, I went through a period of time in the 90s that almost every time I preach, I would make this statement. Christians are the meanest people I know. 
And I wasn't lying. We were going through a very hard time with that. And one day I woke up and God said, and I thought, you know, it seemed like they're getting meaner. And the Lord said to me, he said, if you keep confessing that over them, they will. And I quit making that statement and I started calling the people blessed. And I started, and we watched things shift tremendously. But see, as long as we are confessing things and speaking curses and not life, we're not going to see it. Let me give you a talk about 2 Chronicles 7. I want to begin in verse 13, but see, it's really an invitation that unlocks forgiveness and healing. Do you know as long as any, any ethnic group is blaming another ethnic group for their plights that you can't be healed of it? Do I need to say that again? Do you know that if, if, if in a marriage, let's bring it down to the real. <clears throat> Sadly, but sometimes in a marriage, one of the spouses is unfaithful. And as long as there's never forgiveness of that, that, can, that breach can never be healed. Ours is proof of that. Before I was born again, I was unfaithful in our marriage covenant, but has it ever been an issue since we got born again? Never been an issue. Because she, I tell people, she operated in the very uh, character of God she allowed that sin to be cast into the sea of forgetfulness never to be brought up again. And forgiveness is the key. And, and when he gave us Second Chronicles chapter 7, he gave us an invitation to unlock forgiveness and healing. See, when God's people goes astray, things begin to suffer under the consequences of sin. There's an eternal yet conditional promise for us if we will listen to this <coughs> excuse me verse 13 when i shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people 14 if my people who are called by my name that word name there is character authority and nature if they're called by my name will humble themselves. Let me tell you a key to humbling yourself or a sign of humbling. You quit blaming everything else. If Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, could say in Romans 7, I think it is, that that I desire to do, I do not, and that that I desire not to do, I do, then you and I got a problem too. Are you hearing me? And so we've got to realize, you know, even Adam had that sin. Lord, this woman, you know, it's all the woman's fault. Are you hearing me? He could have made a choice. Said, he could have said, that we ain't eating that banana pudding. You know, whatever it was, the fruit that she gave him. We can't eat that. We're not going to. Are you hearing me? We can't eat that. He could have made a stand. But it said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Do you know, you know, we've made prayer in the Western world into something. Is not Prayer is not just about telling God your needs. Prayer is about getting quiet and hearing him speak and get some answers. 
Isn't it amazing we have reference in God's word that when Daniel prayed, he was heard on the first day, but it was the answer that was resisted for 21 days. Are you hearing me? And so God is looking for a people that will pray, but their prayer has to be balanced with the fact that it's not about begging God to do something that he's already willing to do, but getting an answer. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. Y'all heard about the, the, uh, I'm going to be nice ladies. Y'all heard about the guy that he was about to lose his business and he prayed and he said, God, if I don't win the lottery, I'm going to lose my business. And Friday night came and he didn't win the lottery and he lost his business. And then he prayed and said, God, if I, if I don't win the lottery, I'm going to lose my house. And Friday came and he didn't win the lottery and he lost his house and he was living in his car with his kids, and they were about to re- And he said, Lord, if I don't win the lottery, they're going to repay with my car, and we won't have any place to live. And a voice spoke out of heaven. He said, help me this week. Buy a lottery ticket. See, we got to position ourselves. God wants to give us answers, but, you know, it's not going to float out of heaven supernaturally. God's wanting us to be practically. Now, please don't anybody go out and buy lottery tickets unless you know you got a winner. No, I'm, I'm not in any way advocating gambling or anything, but what I am saying to you is God wants to bless us, but sometimes we got to hear the Lord go, da- you know, go down there. I haven't told this in a long time, but I had a guy in our church in Dyersburg. His name was Jackie, and he ran the, the men's store in Dyersburg. He handled... Very expensive suits. He sold suits to every CEO in Dyersburg, and there was a lot of industry at that time in Dyersburg. And the owner who owned the store got older, didn't want to sell it to Jackie, and closed the store. And Jackie was a single father with two daughters, and he was trying to raise them, and he was delivering papers, and he was getting further behind. His phone's been cut off, you know, before cell phone days, and he came to see me, and he said, Apostle, I don't know what to do. And, and I said, well, Jackie, I said, you know, there, if you deliver papers, sleep a little bit. You know, he did it early in the morning. Get the girls to school. Go find another job. You got to do something. And so that next morning, he goes and delivers papers. And he goes by to get a 29-cent cup of coffee. How many of you mature enough remember when McDonald's had 29-cent coffee? And he goes by to get a 29-cent cup of coffee. And he goes inside, and he notices they got to sign hiring. And my words that I told him, I said, take any job you can get. Some money's better than no money. And he humbled himself and went to work there. And one day he's working on a drive through window, and somebody had ordered something, and they pulled up there, and he's standing there, and it was a CEO of one of the companies in town. And he said, Jackie, I've been looking all over for you. He said, I, I, you're, 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 you know, your number, number's been changed, and I didn't know where he was, and Jackie said to him, well, what do you need me for? I don't, I don't sell suits anymore. He said, I know. He said, that's not what I wanted. He said, I'm going to start a jewelry store in the mall, and I want you to be the manager and hired him. See, 
by being obedient to take whatever that came into his hand it put him right in front of a window where he was ashamed to be seen by that man but yet God used it as an opportunity for promotion into the next thing but we got too many people that don't want to just go do something so God can promote them he'll test you we had someone in this church for a while that no longer here and the husband would he turned down numerous jobs that paid ten dollars an hour and kept saying I'm worth more than that I, I don't agree with that science amen when 85 when we went through our hard time I promise you I worked for about two bucks an hour if you figure out what I was making but it was better to have something coming in and put food on the table and try to make some payments than it was nothing coming in am I making sense to you If my people will pray and seek my face and then turn from their wicked ways. You know, wickedness is not just adultery and fornication and sexual perversion and drunkenness and all the things we can name. Wicked ways can be just being disobedient to God. And God is looking for people that will turn from their wicked ways and will hear from heaven. Everybody say, hear from heaven. You're not going to heal the land until you hear from heaven. Are you hearing me? I can't wait till this deal for the Welches are finished and we're going to have a, a great dedication service there. We're going to stake that ground. We're going to pray over it. We, the church is coming out. I'm going to try to see if, if, you know, with Gary's permission here, I'm at planning, but with Gary's permission, maybe that, uh, my son, come, we do bring barbecue grills and do some barbecue and make it not just to go out there on the land, but people can walk this land. They can speak blessings over it. We're going to take communion over it. We're going to sing over it. Are you hearing me? But if they will hear from heaven and uh, said, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I'll heal the land. Let me just tell you, it's time for you to heal the land. What is the land you need to heal? You know, I don't know where God's called you to. It could be Orange Mound. Not picking on any certain area, but don't you believe that God wants to see that area redeemed? Don't you believe that God wants to, uh, to do that? We, we watch as things uh, become healed. In Acts 3 and 19, it says, Therefore, repent and return. Return to what? Return to life so that your sins shall be maybe wiped away or blotted out in order, everybody say in order, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Are you hearing me? Listen, until you repent and return, return what? To your original birthright. Anybody here ever known people that are in pursuit of something that you just knew that was not what God wanted them to do? We've all, haven't we all met people like that at times? We've got to return to what God has said about it. You can't just choose to be a, something that God's not equipped you to be. And it's a time that we, we repent and we return so that our sins may be wiped out in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. 
In John chapter 5 and verse 16, it said, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man accomplished much. I'm going to build on that word effective. You know what it takes to have an effective prayer? Pray the prayers. That some of the commentators say out of that text there where it says the effective prayers of a righteous man availed much, it, it actually means pray the prayers. The word effective means pray. Pray what prayers? You pray what God tells you to pray. It's not just any prayer. I, I'm afraid that sometimes we pray amiss. We pray for things that God is not, is, is not telling us to pray for. We want God to work in a way that God's not willing to work, work through. I remember years ago in Dyersburg, a young woman came in and sat on the very back seat, right back here, on a Sunday, and I called her out and I prophesied this word to her. The Lord said, give him to God and pray that he gets busted, and if he get, as he gets busted, he'll give his heart to me, and I'll give you back a new husband, a man that will serve God all of his days. I didn't know it, but she was actually a sister to someone that was on the leadership team in the house. And she went to lunch with her sister and brother-in-law and said, that wasn't God. There's, you know, if he, gets, if he gets busted, we won't have any income. I'm not making enough. I think she was a hairstylist. <clears throat> said, I won't be making enough to, to support us. We'll lose everything with God. That, that man's not a prophet. He, he didn't hear God. There's no way God wants my husband busted. Well, about 30 days later, she showed up again because he got all stoned on cocaine and, and beat her up pretty good. And she came back to church again, and I called her out and gave her the exact same word. And she went home on a Sunday afternoon and got before God and said, Lord, if that word's you, let him be arrested. Let him get caught. He got up, he, he installed overhead doors. He got up the next morning at 6 o'clock in the company truck. Had a little bit of tinfoil rolled up under the seat with where he can have him a little snort during the day. On the way there, he didn't give a right turn signal to make a turn. Police pulled him over, checked the truck, found the cocaine. He couldn't post bond. His parents wouldn't post bond. She didn't have the money to post bond. And so he was in. This happened on a Monday morning. He's still there on Thursday, but, some, but God encountered him on Thursday, and he got born again. He finally came to court the next week, I think it was on a Tuesday, still in jail, but on a Tuesday, went before the judge, and the judge said, I don't know why I'm doing this, but the small amount that it was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to free you, but if you ever come before my court again. He came to us, he got baptized in water, and he's still serving God to this day. But she could have continued to pray those enabling prayers. Lord, uh, stop him from doing drugs, but don't let him get caught. Sometimes you gotta, not sorry, you got to get your cup of iniquity full. And he would tell you his cup of iniquity got full, and he had an encounter with God. And, and you know, I call, we call that dirty, hairy prayers, prayers that made his day. He didn't want to get busted. But, it, but God used the fact that he was probably, could have possibly did some jail time to get into his heart and to bring that place. How are you praying over people you care about? 
I'm not saying pray they get busted if God not told you, but what I am saying, we, we, we don't want them to go through the process of time, and therefore they don't come into the fullness of time. Sometimes the process is, is hard. We don't want to see them go through it. When I walked in that day that our son had wrecked that four-wheeler, and doctor said he was paralyzed. You know, we've been praying desperately. He was away from God. You know, we've been praying desperately over him. Are you hearing me? And it wasn't the way that I really wanted God to work. I just wanted him to show up in church one Sunday and come down to the altar and repent, get right with God, and be a sweet little boy that we always wanted him to be. But it didn't happen that way. And it took something that impacted him in a way. See, there's a promise of the glory rising in the midst of gross darkness. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 through 3, it says, Arise, shine. That word arise means to stir up. The word shine means to set on fire. It's actually a Hebrew word. If you've ever seen the sun hit water and it looks like it's on fire. I've only had, I've only experienced that one time in my life. I was in Meeker, Colorado back in 1969 and the sun came up where I was elk hunting and I looked down at this creek that flowed through there and I thought, I really did, I thought something had leaked into the river and there was a flame on it. It wasn't, it wasn't supernatural. I mean, it looked, but it was the way the sun was hitting it. And so it says arise. In other words, what's inside of you, Rodney? Stir it up. What's inside of you? You said, well, you were telling me earlier about how when you were in Idaho and you started prophesying, stir it up. When you wrote that book, you stirred it up. You know, when you minister, you stir it up. When you do these things, you stir it up. Stir up the presence of God in you. Arise. Jonathan, it's time to arise. God's closing a door behind you. Just the very fact you got up and came this morning. You know, it, it, it's a step in the right direction. It's a step by walking back into that place that God can redeem our mistakes. He's a redeemer. But arise, shine, for your light has come. Let me tell you what that word light stands for. Revelation. See, I hope this morning when I shared about the hem of his garment. Some of you had some light come in that situation and realized, you know what, I'm, I'm, I might be no better than the dirty hem of his garment, but I'm enough. I'm going to start with that. You know, it's like the little boy, I can't think of what his name was now, but in Chattanooga that time, he walked, huh? Roscoe, little African-American boy, heard a, a, a healing evangelist preach for five nights on Silver and gold, I have none, but what I have, I give to you. And in downtown Chattanooga, there was a man who was crippled, and he had a wooden cart and two wooden blocks, and he would propel himself down the sidewalk and sell apples and pencils on the streets of Chattanooga. And Roscoe was a shoe shine. Didn't have any education, didn't have anything, but every healing line that the healing evangelist had, Roscoe, if it was for cancer, he didn't have cancer, but he got in, got hand laid on him. And he walked by the guy crippled selling pencils and apples, and he stopped and he looked at his hand and he thought about it and he laid hands on the crippled man and just said the words the healing evangelist said. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I release to you in the name of Jesus. 
And the crippled man stood up. An out and out miracle. Christianity Today published this. I mean, doctors and lawyers wrecked their cars because this guy had been selling pencils there for close to 20, and apples for 20 years. People had seen him cripple for 20 years, and yet he stood up. There's a man there in Chattanooga. We were in his church. It was actually the church where God spoke about bringing Will Ford and Matt Lockett to Memphis, the Lord Overcomers. And the Lord told him to sow an offering of $5,000 into Dr. Ron Phillips, and he did. And a few months later, a businessman who didn't come to his church, I'm talking about what obedience does when you hear and being stirred up. And a man came, uh, got a hold of him and said, I'd like to carry you and your wife out to dinner. And they went out to dinner, and the man looked across the, the dinner to him and his wife, and he said, how much personal debt do you have and how much debt does your church have? And the guy said, the pastor said, well, I can give you a roundabout figure. And he said, no, I need to know exactly. And he said, well, can you give me a couple of days to get back to you? And he said, yeah. So a couple of days later, he got back to the businessman and told him what the church owed and what he owed. And the businessman said, well, let me just tell you, tomorrow I'm going to transfer that much money into your personal account and into the church's account and I got 4.5 million more dollars I want to bless you with. I've been watching what your church is doing in the community and I believe that you're doing the work of Jesus and it happened. But see, it didn't just he didn't just bless them, they had to plant a seed. He told when we heard this story <clears throat> this testimony told, he told how that it was sacrificial for them to, to give $5,000 at that point. I think about the sacrificial offering this church has given and the sacrificial offerings you've given. But see, it says, and the glory, uh, the light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen over you. Let me tell you what the glory of the Lord is. It, it's getting called, it's being called many things in the body of Christ today and it's probably most of them. But let me tell you what the real glory is. It's when you move into that place that the provision of God is sufficient. Amen? It's, it's where you move in and you take steps of faith. And verse 2 says, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. Don't get caught up on all this darkness. I, I don't know about you, but man, I, you know, I, I listened to our president the other night on the National Mall. And the flyover and all the stuff with that. And I told Susan, I said, well, I'm going to do something that's probably going to upset me. But I'm going to go listen on CNN. And they took every word that he said and twisted it like I, I've never heard before in my life. You know, I, I told Susan, I said, either, either I'm missing it or they missed it. One of the two. But everything he said, they wanted to say he was really saying this. They wanted to reshape his word and everything. Let me tell you why. Can I tell you why the president had such an unction to do that? Because just a few weeks ago, I prophesied in Gulfport, Mississippi, that when the blue angels are seen, and it actually said over that area, <clears throat> but when they are seen, there's going, the angel armies are going to move in off of the Gulf Coast into the land of the coast of, of uh, the United States, and they're going to be activated to another level. 
Now let me just finish the story. The 13th, when will that be? Today's the, today's the 7th, am I right? That should be next Saturday. While we're doing the congressional, the Blue Angels are going to do a flyover over the Gulf Coast. And come to find out, Betty Love had prophesied a very similar word back in February about the Blue Angels. They're just planes. But they're scheduled to do a flyover, and they were there. And people who heard that word, I prophesied getting in touch with me. And Trump didn't even know why he had such an unction to do it. He just knew that he wanted to do it by something he saw in France, and he did it. And we could argue about the money spent, and we could argue about how it, with that. But can I tell you something? I heard nothing but good. He honored our military, even made a blunder. And it and blamed it on the teleprompter and, and all of that. I like the fact that he made a blunder. It just proves he's human. I probably have mispronounced at least three words by now in this sermon. It just proves I'm human. Are you with me? In verse 3, the Gentiles, speaking of those pre believers the pre-believers shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your eyes when it speaks of kings it's speaking of people in place of authority Susan and I had a very interesting meeting last night we had a couple drive from the north part of the United States to carry us out to dinner last night all they wanted was the time during a dinner, and it was based on the fact that he had been praying for some time, Lord, I want somebody in the body of Christ begin to hear you and decree policies, inspired policies that will affect the White House. And he found my dream about what President Trump needed to do at the border. And it's now being implemented, whether you realize it or not. And we are told it got to him, that someone, Paula White, actually put it on his desk. I can't validate that, but we're told that. But how many of you know that in the realm of the prophetic, it's not just about that people have to hear the word. You can affect people with prophetic prayer by decreeing and declaring over them, and them in Florida, or them in Bulgaria, or them somewhere else. But what, and so they drove here to spend some time with us last night. I found it very intriguing, didn't you? Great couple. Lots of things in common. Very inspired for what the work we're doing up in Arkansas. Other things with that. But out of that, because he had been praying for some time, Lord, raise up people on the government mountain that will begin to declare inspired policy that will have an effect. How many of you remember the story of Dutch Sheets when he was in Washington, D.C. years ago? And one morning he told the prayer team he's with, said, I'm not going to go with you. I didn't want some time alone. And he went and stood on the streets of Washington, D.C. and it turned cold. And he had, didn't have a coat with him. It was very, very cold. And he was just about to decide to go back to his room where it was warm. And a woman come pushing a baby up in a stroller. And she walked up to him. She said, you're Dutch Pierce, aren't you? And he said, no, ma'am, I'm Dutch Sheets, but I run with a man named Chuck Pierce. Yeah, that's you. You're the, you're the Isaiah 22, 22 man. And Dutch said, yeah. And she said, 
Well, the Lord spoke to me a while ago and told me you'd be standing here to come down here and tell you Isaiah 22, 22, he's put keys in your hand to unlock some things. When she finished sharing with him, she said, well, I live four blocks away. I got to push my baby back there to my apartment. And the Dutch said as she was walking away, the Lord spoke to him and said, don't you ever make me have to get a mother out with her baby in this kind of weather to come correct you. And he stood on the streets of D.C. And he stretched his hand toward the Oval Office. He stretched his hand toward the White House. George W. Bush was in there. And history reports today that a decision was made by George W. Bush on that very day that Dutch was standing there praying about Israel, which was favorable for our nation and for Israel. I just read this morning, we're on December the 17th, 2011. Dutch stood right there, and he prophesied about there's a change coming tonight to, South, to North Korea, and North Korea and South Korea will be healed. That was December the 17th, 2011, and here we are. Our president just went over into that zone. This president of South Korea is meeting with the president of North Korea. And yes, he's murdered people. And yes, he's an evil man. But you know what? I was evil once and I had to, I had to have an encounter. I encountered a man that, that walked and carried a big stick, the cross. And I believe that God is working to try to have an encounter with the president of, of North, the dictator of North Korea. I mean, why, why is it that we can't forgive his past if he becomes born again? Why is it that we want to hold people into what they were? We don't really treat people. I'm going to tell you a story I hadn't planned to tell, but many, many, many years ago, on a Sunday service in Dyersburg, Tennessee, a lady came and brought her sister to a service, our Christmas service, our Christmas banquet day. And God touched her, and she got gloriously, gloriously born again. And then at the end of her, you know, when she got salvation, she shared with me, said, I'm ashamed to tell you, but said, I'm a stripper in Memphis. And the next week she came back, drove all the way from Memphis and bought her best friend and her best friend who was a stripper got saved. And over the next five or six weeks we saw 14 of them born again. Now I'm going to release you if you want to go now because I'm fixing to upset you. And so I began to talk with them over the phone. These girls were making thousands of dollars. They were driving Porsches, living in nice townhouses. They were living... And so they couldn't figure out what to do. And so we worked out a six-week plan to get them out of stripping. And during that six weeks, they sold Porsches. They got out of leases. They, they, they continued doing the ungodly. Of the 14, 12 are still free. I have to be careful of this. But one of them is now married to a very predominant pastor in the city of Memphis. And she has an incognito ministry to get the girls out of that life. 
Can I just finish the story? The two that went back in it were raised in fundamental Christianity and never could believe that God had forgiven them. Let me tell you what fundamental Christianity is, religion. And they, they were fully convinced. But can I tell you one other statistic? All 14 had been molested. There has to be a science there. But 12 of them stayed free. Now, my point is this. And now one of them, maybe others, because we don't have contact anymore, but maybe others, but one of them is working to help people get, help women get out of that life. But yet the religious has a problem with that. Well, if they really got saved, they couldn't have gone on doing that. I believe God gave them grace. I don't understand it, but it worked. He said, don't just look for the fruit, look for the fruit that remained. I close in saying this. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad it was. We've got someone, uh, Pamela, I've got to get an address to you. I might already got I can't remember, but I've, I've got someone that is wanting to go through some healing and stuff. And, and you know, I, I already knew it by the Spirit, but he, you know, he confessed to me, he's not in this church, he's off in another state, but he confessed to me recently that he murdered a man and served time in prison most of his young life. I don't discern murder in him. I do discern rejection. I do discern a lot of things that he continually be. But if God is a forgiver and if he served his time, and with that, why can't we treat people? It's one of the things I'm so proud of our president about some of this criminal justice stuff that he's doing. I believe people should be given a chance, a second chance. I believe people ought to be able to start over. I don't believe people should be able to hold things against someone because of their path. But I also believe that they need to redeem themselves by living righteously and bearing fruit, and the fruit remains. Last scripture, Psalms 33. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and in those who hope in his mercy. Can I just tell you? My hope's in his mercy because mercy is me not getting what I deserve. Amen? Aren't you glad he's giving our president mercy? You know, I wish he wouldn't tweet as much. You know, I, I wish a lot of things. About, I mean, you know, with it. But you know what? On the other side of it, I'm so thankful he is a wrecking ball. You know, everything they said he's going to fail at, he's, he's succeeded in. I mean, isn't it great that among African Americans it's at the all-time low in unemployment? Isn't it the same thing for Hispanics, the same thing? More women working. The statistics are higher, and yet they want to... I'm not defending him. I'm just telling you, if God wants to use a donkey... He has. And if he wants to use Dan Billman, he has. How about a Jesse Taylor? Or Jerry Berry? And then Britt Withrow. How about this guy with his arm all messed up? Almost healed. 
So he's not looking now for someone that's perfect. He's looking now for someone that will surrender. Now I read through the Bible, we have a lot of marred people that God used greatly. Solomon with a thousand concubines. Oh, my God. And yet known as one of the wisest kings. Man, that's an oxymoron. You know, it's like, you know, you know, anyway. How do you keep all your lies straight in that situation? But yet God used Solomon in a mighty way. I heard something a while ago, and I want to share with them. I want to pray over you. <coughs> Whatever this extended period of healing looks like, I heard the Lord say that it, it has to do with the Ark of the Covenant. And I'm not going to say that the Ark of the Covenant is going to be here, not, not anywhere else. I'm not pushing up, but there's something we need to pray into that to understand. I'm telling you, I believe a tipping point will come when we as this family, we as this army come together and stretch ourselves for his purposes so that we can see an extended time. You know, Charles and Francis Hunter, who's mature enough to know who I'm talking about? Wow, more of you than I thought. Charles and Francis Hunter in one of their books well, I, I, I might be getting too, but it, they made the statement one time. I heard them in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, made the statement. They prayed for over 100,000 people before they saw the first healing. Man, I'd have quit at 90,000. Maybe when we start whether it's 21 days or 30 days or whatever we do, whatever it looks like. Maybe we start, we're not seeing a lot of healing. Maybe it's going to take us being persistent. Maybe it's going to take us being obedient. Maybe it's going to take us being surrendered. I don't know what it looks like. I've even thought about moving it around instead of doing it all here because we partner with other churches. But what I will tell you, if we'll be obedient to get understanding of this word and if we engage it and we step into it, then we're going to see God release healing and a tipping point is going to come. Every one of you are healings looking to happen. Every one of you are carrying healing for other people. Look down. Who here is struggling with discouragement. You, you're just, you know, just it's just on every side of you. Whoever that is, I want you to stand to your feet. Could be more than one, but if you're struggling with discouragement, I mean, it's a real weightiness on you. Thank you, Joseph. Anybody else? Well, let me just share something 
with all of us, not just Joseph. Discouragement, when you study the word in the Hebrew, discouragement does not come because you didn't get the promotion you wanted, you didn't get the job you wanted, you didn't get the land and the timing you wanted, you didn't get the spouse you wanted. Discouragement comes when you disconnect yourself from what God has promised you. The word discouragement actually means to dock off. Like when a ship leaves the dock, or in the south we would understand this, a dog that has his tail cut when he's a pup is called docking it off. In other words, he's separated from his tail. Our little toy Australian shepherd had his tail docked when he was a puppy. It's a lot less painful then, and that's the, the, in fact, Jody and Jada Blizzard are the one that did it. And so discouragement comes when you separate yourself from what God has promised you. And you must pursue that. It doesn't come because you didn't get what you were believing for. It doesn't, even in the timing or whatever, it comes when you be, quit dreaming God's dreams, when you quit believing what God has said. Now, I want to go back to that. Anybody else here feel like you're battling with some discouragement? Because we're going to break it off. Stand up, Michael. Stand up back there. Stand up. Okay. Gary. Now, here's what we're going to end this service with. I want you to look around. Can I tell you what? The bravest people in this room are the five that's standing. They're being honest with God. God knows it's in you. <laughs> he knows why it's in you. But he wants that. So here's how we're going to end today's service. It's 1207. I did good. I didn't preach the everlasting gospel. I want you to move out of your seats, those of you who are still seated. And I want, I want several someones gathered around. And I want you to impart encouragement to them. I want you to release to them fresh hope. You know, and can I tell you what will heal them from this? Your testimony. You know, I think about what you've lived through, Jolene. You're a miracle. I'm not in any way trying to glorify the devil, but, you know, if you did, you wouldn't use these words probably, but I will. It would just hell for a while. It would just so hard to keep your head above water. But yet you battled through. And your destiny will be fulfilled because there's no limitation on what God can do. Yeah. So will you move around to these people and just begin to pray for them? Just begin to share your testimony. Share what God has done for you. Release.